start off our time together this morning with a question. How many of you have ever received a gift that came with expectations or conditions? Maybe? It's kind of an odd question, but let me, let me help wrap your mind around it just a little bit. I bet that some of you parents in the room this morning bought some Legos for Christmas this year, right? Anybody buy? No, don't actually don't raise your hand because then, that, never mind. But I bet you bought some Legos for Christmas this year, and one of the first things you're going to say when that package is unwrapped is, don't leave Legos on the floor, right? That gift has a condition. It has an expectation. Legos turn into little tiny bombs that destroy your feet when they're stepped on. Or maybe there was a basketball or a football or a baseball or a frisbee that you purchased as a Christmas present this year. There's expectations and conditions associated with that gift as well. Don't throw it in the house. Please don't throw it in the house. Or, or maybe you set the bar just a little bit lower. Please don't break anything when you throw it in the house. Okay? Uh, there's expectations associated with that gift. I remember I got my first video game system when I was younger. It was a Nintendo 64. If you don't know what that is, you can Google it after church. Uh, but I had two conditions that were attached to receiving this gift. The first one was pretty simple. You can't play until all your chores are done. You can't play until all the work is done. Second one, you can't play until your homework's done. Right? It's pretty simple. Pretty simple conditions associated with that. And then there's maybe the most famous Christmas gift of all. There's a little boy named Ralphie, and he wanted something very specific for Christmas. Anybody know what Ralphie wanted for Christmas? It's, that's close. That's close. He, he wanted an official Red Rider carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing that tells time. That's what Ralphie wanted for Christmas. By the way, I didn't realize as a child that the thing that tells time is there's a sundial on the stock. Maybe you all knew that, but I didn't know that as a child. Uh, there was a condition that Ralphie had for the receiving of his present. It's really simply this. Don't shoot your eye out, kid. That's a pretty simple expectation. Don't shoot your eye out. And so I think now that we think about it a little bit, gifts that have conditions or expectations associated with them are a little bit more common than we might think. Today we're going to talk about God's expectations. Today we're going to talk about the expectation that God has as He gives us the gift of salvation. And to set that up, I just want to briefly review where we've been over the last few weeks as we've looked at the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus that started in a manger in Bethlehem. So this month, we've been talking about Christmas, and we've just said something really simple that you all know, but, but maybe we don't pay attention to, and it's this. Christmas is really messy. Christmas is messy. You have pine needles on the floor. There are presents. There's wrapping paper everywhere. Somebody gets tapes stuck to their sock. There's zip ties, packages that you can't unwrap, batteries that didn't come with a present, and then there's batteries that you have to get to but can't because they're in military-grade plastic, right? Christmas is messy, but the thing that is the most difficult, the thing that is the messiest about Christmas is unmet expectations. 
We all have some unmet expectations when it comes to Christmas. We want it we want Christmas morning or Christmas Eve to look like a Norman Rockwell painting. And life just doesn't always work that way. We want all of our family to get along at Christmas time and life just doesn't always work that way. We want Christmas lunch to be on time and everybody to have a nice outfit on and nobody spills any gravy. And guess what? Life just doesn't always work that way. Christmas can be messy. Christmas can be messy. But that's nothing new. From the beginning, Christmas was messy. You know where Jesus was born? He was born in a barn. And he was welcomed into the world by shepherds. I don't know if you knew this or not, but in Jewish culture, shepherds were among the lowest class of people there were. They were the second lowest class of people in Jewish society. In fact, when somebody saw a shepherd, you know what they would do? They'd just pretend that they didn't see a shepherd. Because it's easier to pretend that that person doesn't exist than to have to deal with the reality of treating them in some specific way or being kind to them. Shepherds were the lowest of the low. And these are the people who celebrated with Jesus on the first Christmas. But that tells us something important. It tells us something important, and I hope that if you leave here today, you remember this. Not if, you are going to leave here today. We won't keep you. You, You're going to be allowed to leave, okay? (laughs) I hope that when you leave here today, you remember this, this lesson that the shepherds teach us. Jesus isn't for proper people. Jesus is for all people. He's not for proper people. He's for all people. He's not just for people who have got it figured out. He's not just for people who have good credit, who can afford nice clothes. Jesus isn't just for good people. Jesus isn't just for people who smell okay. He's not just for Jewish people. Jesus is for all people. He's for all people. He was for all people then, and He's for all people now. But you know, the fact that Jesus was for everyone was a disappointment to a lot of people in Jesus' day. You see, they didn't, want, they didn't want a Messiah who came to take care of the poor. They wanted a Messiah who came to overthrow the Roman government. They didn't want Jesus to heal the sick. They wanted Him to restore the name of Israel. They didn't want Jesus to minister. They wanted Him to manage And that was the expectation that a lot of people had when it came to a Messiah. But Jesus, the Messiah, didn't come to meet our expectations. He came to meet our need. And our need was someone to save us from our sins. We needed somebody to save us from our sins. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do. You know that verse in John chapter 3, 16? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That verse tells us exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to bring salvation. He came to bring salvation. But how would He do it? How would He do it? In the Sermon on the Mount, a little later in Jesus' life and in His ministry, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that He came to institute a radically new way of life. 
And this new way of life would bring salvation. And this new way of life that brings salvation, it wouldn't come with power or authority or strength. This salvation would come through service and submission and humility. And that's how Jesus lived until eventually it cost him his life. But that's what needed to happen because as Jesus died, something happened. He paid the price for sin. Remember we said earlier, Jesus isn't for proper people. He's for our people. He's for all people. As Jesus died, he paid the price for sin for all people. He paid the price for religious people's sin and unreligious people's sin and, and good people and bad people and the people who crucified Him and the people who mocked Him and dead people's sin and the sin of people who weren't even born yet and my sin and your sin. Jesus isn't just for proper people. Jesus is for all people. And that's what Jesus accomplished as He hung on a cross this time of year, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. But always remember, we celebrate the birth of Jesus because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the greatest gift that has ever been given. And like so many other gifts, like some of the gifts that you're going to give this year and like some of the gifts that you've received in the past, it comes with expectations. For the rest of our time together, I want to I talk about what those expectations are because this is how we received God's gift of forgiveness. I want to start where we left off last week. It's Matthew chapter 28. We're going to pick up in verse 16. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that now. But if you don't, I'm going to have it up here on the screen for you. So Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Here's what Matthew records. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus tells his disciples his followers, that they are now the ones responsible for making more followers of Jesus. Well, how do they make followers of Jesus? Verse 19 says that they're to baptize them and to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has said. Now, I know that a lot of times when we talk about this salvation process, we do it, we do it really simply. Uh, we want to make it easy to remember. So maybe you've heard about uh, the salvation process like this. You've got to hear about Jesus, believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess Jesus, and be baptized. Or we even shorten it a little bit more. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. That's not a bad way to put it. In fact, I think it's a really helpful way to say that. The problem is... When we talk about those things that way, it's easy to get the impression that once we've heard, once we've believed and confessed and been baptized, we're all set. We don't have anything to do anymore. 
We've got our ticket punched for heaven and all we got to do is wait for God to give the boarding call. Truth is, only one of those things is a one-time event. The rest is a lifetime, is a lifetime process. Only baptism is a one-time event. That's our act of stepping forward and receiving God's gift of forgiveness. Everything else is a lifelong process. So I want to spend the rest of our time together today looking at this process of accepting God's gift, the one-time act of baptism and the lifetime process of believing and confessing and repenting. So we'll start with baptism. Matthew 28, Jesus says, hey, people should be baptized. People should be baptized. But what happens in baptism? I think the clearest place in the Bible that describes this is 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse 21, this is what we read. We read, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. It's not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but it's an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, what does that mean? Let's illustrate it this way. I want you to imagine with me this morning that God is here in this room. Okay? Right? Now, don't over-spiritualize. I know that God is in this room, but I mean like in the room. I mean like it's hard to see because His radiance is shining so brightly. I'm talking God is standing on this stage and the train of His robe is filling this space with glory. I want you to imagine just briefly that God is in this room room this morning and he's on the stage and here's what he says he says i have come to give you forgiveness of sins all you got to do is accept it that that seems pretty reasonable right At, at that point i'm going hey whatever you say god you're in charge here seems pretty reasonable baptism is the way that god has established for us to say we need your gift Baptism is how God has established for us to say, we need your gift. What did it say in 1 Peter? It's an appeal to God. It's us asking God for a good, clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is how we say, God, I need your gift. And baptism is where God meets us to give us the gift of forgiveness. And as we're baptized, we go under the water completely. And in that moment, that brief moment, just brief moment, can't emphasize that enough, in that brief moment, all of our sins are completely and eternally forgiven because of what Jesus did for us. How's that for a gift exchange? We give God our mess and He gives us new life. It's the greatest news in the history of the world. But here's where we make our mistake. We get baptized and we start to think, okay, I got my ticket punched, squared away. It's in my regular church attendance and I'm on my way to heaven. Baptism isn't the end of your story. Baptism isn't the end of your story. It's the beginning of your new story. I can prove it. You ready for me to prove it? Somebody say yes, please. Okay, thank you. We'll make that easier. Okay, good. We're going to go back to Matthew 28. We'll read verses 16 and 17. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw this, they worshipped him, but some doubted. All right, interact with me just a little bit here. Who went up to the mountain of Galilee? 
Yeah, the 11 disciples. These are the 11 people in the whole world that knew Jesus the best. They just spent the last three and a half years going everywhere Jesus went, seeing everything Jesus did, participating in His ministry, and knowing that Jesus was the Christ. These were the people who knew Jesus the best. What did these 11 guys do when they get up to this mountain of Galilee and they see Jesus? They worshipped Him. You're right, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. But some doubted. The 11 people in the world who knew Jesus the best, they had seen the power of Jesus. They'd seen Him cast out demons. They'd seen Him heal the sick and the blind and the mute and lepers and deaf. They had seen Jesus still the sea and calm storms. Some of them had seen Jesus transfigure into His full glory and they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Some doubt it doesn't matter how far along you are in your faith, there is room for growth. These guys just spent the last three and a half years learning directly from God, and they still had their doubts. Now, this word doubt, there, there are several ways we can translate it. This one isn't the disbelieve kind of doubt. None of the apostles are going, I don't really believe that that's actually Jesus. This is more like hesitation or indecision. But these men who had spent the last three and a half years with Jesus were witness to his power. They still struggled with hesitation and indecision. That teaches us a valuable lesson. You ready? Faith isn't perfected in a moment. It's refined over time. Your faith isn't perfected in a moment. It's refined over time. That's why after baptism... We spend our lives learning to obey all that Jesus has taught us. It's a lifelong process. And in that process, we learn about things like confessing Jesus. And we learn about things like repentance. Let's talk about confession. Today, confessing Jesus is really a pretty simple matter, isn't it? We get up here in front of the church and we, we follow Peter's lead. From Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter said, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so when we ask somebody to confess Jesus, we say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's, that's a good thing. It's pretty low stress though, isn't it? Because if you were to get up here today, let's say God starts stirring in your heart and, and at the end of service today, you want to confess Jesus as Lord, you get up here. Uh, you're going to be confessing Jesus as Lord in a room full of people who believe that Jesus is Lord. It's pretty low stress, right? And sure, you've got to worry about you know, stage fright. Some people don't like getting up in front of a crowd full of people and having them all look at them. Well, you've got to remember to say words. Uh, so that's, you know, sure, you've got to worry about that, but you don't have to worry about anybody being arrested. You don't have to worry about getting arrested because you proclaim faith in Jesus. You don't have to worry about your family being harmed because of a belief in Jesus. That's not the case in the first century world. So there were people in Jerusalem who were saying this crazy thing. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Just a little pop quiz for you this morning. What was Jesus killed for? For saying... I'm the Christ, 
the Son of God. And all these crazy people are walking around saying, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Turns out it's not such a trivial matter in the first century. Turns out it's not such a trivial matter today either. Because while it may be easy to confess Jesus on Sunday, it's a lot less easy on Monday. So your coworkers are still going to say, do you really believe in that Christianity hocus pocus? On Monday, your confession sounds like, yeah, I really do. Or maybe your professor says, is there anybody in this room stupid enough to believe in Jesus? And your confession of Christ sounds like, I do. Not everybody you know believes that Jesus is the Christ. But here's what your confession has the power to do. Your confession has the potential to change their mind and strengthen your faith. Your confession of Jesus, you standing up for Jesus when that professor says, are you stupid enough to believe in Jesus? Or your coworker says, you really believe in that God hocus pocus? Your confession has the potential to change their mind. And it has the potential to strengthen your faith. And at first, maybe we have some hesitation and indecision as we confess Jesus. But as we spend our lives learning to obey everything that He's commanded, that hesitation transforms into assurance. It transforms into stronger faith as it's refined over time. As we spend our lives learning to obey everything that Jesus has commanded, we learn about confessing Jesus. We also learn about repentance. We also learn about repentance. This is the part of our faith where we admit our sin and we begin the work of removing it from our lives by the power of God. And I need you to understand something important about repentance uh, because there's this common mistake here. People make this mistake and they get discouraged with Christianity and they end up thinking, they don't ever say it out loud, but they end up thinking, man, Christianity just doesn't work for me. This Jesus, His power doesn't work in my life. I'm too sinful. I'm too far gone. I need you to understand something important about repentance. Repentance isn't a decision to be perfect. It's a decision to be dissatisfied with sin. We don't have the ability to be perfect. If we did, we wouldn't need Jesus. We do have the ability to say, I'm not okay with this sin in my life anymore. When we decide that, then we can begin to work on eliminating it from our lives with the power of God. That's repentance. And here's the deal. Right now, if I asked each of us to think about something that we need to repent of, we'd each come up with something. We'd each come up with something. And maybe you'd say something silently to yourself like, God, I'm sorry for this and I want it gone from my life. And you and God would begin this journey of working to eliminate this together. And there'd be this time of repentance and confession as you fail. But over time, with the help of God, you can get rid of whatever that sin is that you need to repent of. But here's the deal. When that sin is gone, you know what's going to happen? As you continue to learn to obey everything that Jesus has commanded, something else that needs to be gone from your life is going to pop up. And you're going to have to work on that process of repenting of that as well. 
It's easy to think that responding to the gospel is a one-time thing. I just have to hear about Jesus. I just got to believe in Jesus. I just got to repent of my sins and confess Jesus and get baptized. But it's not a one-time thing. It's a lifelong journey. Here's the thing about lifelong journeys. The best time to start one is today. The best time to start a lifelong journey is today. So if you're here today and you believe that Jesus has the power to forgive your sins and reconcile you with God, you know what? You believe enough to begin your lifelong journey of faith. You believe enough to begin your lifelong journey of faith. But understand this. God expects you to start a new life of hearing and confessing and repenting and obeying. God expects you to start a new life that doesn't seek your own power or wisdom or strength, but seeks service and sacrifice and humility. God expects you to start a new life as you begin your life of faith. And over the years, a lot of people have said, it's kind of asking a lot, isn't it? God's kind of asking a lot of me, isn't he? You know, my answer is always the same. Yeah, he is. He is asking a lot of you. But never forget, he gave more than he asks. He gave more than he asks. Years ago, I read a news article about a woman named Emily Johnson. Her teenage son had died in a tragic car accident. And I don't remember the details of the accident. I don't remember where the family was from. The truth is there's only one reason I remember this article at all, and it's because of this picture. Emily Johnson's son was an organ donor. And this is a picture of her listening to her son's heart as it gave life to another man. And I want to tell you this morning that God knows exactly how that woman feels. Because His beloved Son died so that we might have new life. Reminds me a lot of what God said in Ezekiel chapter 36. Here's what He wrote. He said, I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit in you. And I'll remove this heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That, that is what we're celebrating at Christmas time. The greatest gift that's ever been given. A new heart given to us by God Himself and the hope of salvation for all who believe. We're going to sing a song here in just a moment. So I'm going to ask everybody to go ahead and stand up and prepare for that right now. If you're here today and, and God's been stirring in your heart, we want to offer you a time to respond to that. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I want to invite you to come forward and say that in front of these people, but more importantly, to say that to God. And if you can say that, if you can stand here this morning, if you have enough faith to say that, then I want to invite you to be baptized and begin the new life that Jesus came to bring. If that's you, why don't you meet me right down here and we'll baptize you this morning. But right now, let's all sing together.